You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Great to be with you. And uh, so stoked for the high schoolers going on the hike today up at Poway and, and uh, just uh, get your kids plugged in on that. Good things going on. And um, we're in a series on uh, <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount. Been in it for several weeks. Uh, the series title uh, is Unexpected Messiah. Uh, and we are specifically looking at a message now in the Unexpected Messiah series on the Sermon on the Mount where we're looking at four things, four behaviors that are harmful to our life. Uh, Life is hard enough without adding fuel to the fire, right? And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, we did an outline uh, last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you, go back online and listen to it, because having an outline of the Sermon on the Mount will really help you. Uh, Jesus starts off, there's seven points in his sermon. I'm not going to go into them again this week, but having that outline really helps. He starts with the values of the kingdom. And says, this is what our kingdom is all about. And this, then he tells us, here's your role in the kingdom. And anyway, today we're on the sixth point of his message. And the sixth point of his message is these harmful behaviors. Uh, his seventh point is helpful behaviors. We'll look at that next week. But here today we're talking about harmful behaviors. And last week we looked at the first two of the harmful behaviors. And uh, we looked at the... Uh, what Jesus said, the first and most uh, number one harmful behavior was that we would have treasures that are inappropriate treasures. Having inappropriate treasures in our life, having wrong treasures in our life, these harmful behaviors that we're looking at, they're not behaviors like, oh, well, I, I gave my life to Jesus all those years ago, and now I'm done with all that stuff. No, no, no. These are harmful behaviors that just spring up in our life over and over and over again. And Jesus could have talked about a million things that are harmful for us, but in his divine insight, he chose four to say, I want you to be really careful about these. And the first one was having wrong treasures. We looked at that last week. Having wrong treasures. We're just prone to that, aren't we? Uh, We wake up and now we want this or now we want this and we get these wrong things that become the master passions in our life. It's a common behavior for us. And you say, well, hey, what's the big deal? Well, we learned last week that um, these treasures affect our life, right? Our treasure controls our heart. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then we kind of learn the anatomy of the soul. The heart controls the eyes, And uh, your eyes, if your eyes get off track, if your heart is leading your eyes off track, we're in trouble. So our treasure controls our heart, our heart controls our eyes, and our heart was made to walk with God. That's what we were created for. And nothing else will satisfy. And so we looked at that last week. That was the number one uh, harmful behavior that he gave us. Uh, Only Jesus can satisfy our life. And if we have wrong treasures, our eyes will be valuing wrong things, and our heart will be in the wrong spot. The second one that we looked at was worry. And uh, I find it amazing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus knew this. He knew that today we'd be worrying about tomorrow. And uh, he says, hey, 
Don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, look, at the, look at the fields. Uh, they are clothed with the lilies of the field. They're just clothed with these beautiful flowers. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, but your heavenly Father takes care of them. Are you not more important than all of those things? And the obvious answer is yes. And he says, then don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of you. So uh, we looked at that in depth last week. If you want to go into that more, we can, you can turn back and look at that. But today we're going to be moving into the third harmful behavior that Jesus gives us. You know what it is? It's having a critical spirit. It's being judgmental. And he says, hey, caution, man. It's a harmful behavior. Beware. We're all prone to it. None of us are immune. Doesn't matter if you're a pope or a pastor or a, a pauper or a whatever. I mean, just we're all prone to this, right? To have a critical spirit. And uh, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that. Uh, the communion table is set. We're going to partake in communion together later today. Uh, after the service, really excited to do that together. If you are at home, I would encourage you, uh, get your Bibles out now, get your note pins out now, and get your, uh, open up the fridge and get some juice and some bread and be ready to have communion at home with us. And I'm really uh, looking forward to uh, uh, partaking communion together. Um, let's pray though. Let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we open up his word. Jesus, what an amazing savior you are. And Lord, this Sermon on the Mount that you preached some 2,000 years ago, it is still the most life-profound, life-changing, life-powerful words that we could ever study. And Lord, we are gathered together in your house, and you made this promise that wherever two or more are gathered, there you are in the midst. Lord, how great it is to have that promise to hold on to, knowing that your presence is here with us. Lord, what a joy and what a blessing to be gathered in your house and to see your church filling up again. And Lord, may you bring us all back into fellowship. We need it. And Lord, right now as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us and allow our eyes to see the wonderful things that you have for us today. Thank you for this profound message. And as we look at these harmful behaviors, Lord, may you really help us understand exactly what you were trying to communicate by your spirit to our hearts, personally and individually. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Well, let's read the passage. Matthew chapter 7. If you need a Bible, the ushers will give you one. Just raise your hands. And uh, Matthew chapter 7, find your spot at verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And if you're there, give me a big amen. amen. <clears throat> All right, let's read together. Judge not that you be not judged. Yeah, Jesus is saying, hey, be careful of having a critical spirit of others. Judge not that you be not judged. Don't judge others that you don't be judged by others. Verse 2, for with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a big honkin' plank is in your own eye. Big honkin' isn't in there, by the way, I just added that in. But you know what I see in this? Jesus was funny. This was funny. I mean, that was a, that was a funny point he just made. Imagine the imagery of that, right? 
Jesus was a carpenter. He knew what it was like to get a speck in the eye. And he goes, hey, why are you walking around with a, a big honking telephone pole in your eye trying to get a speck out of someone else's eye? That's just funny. I love Jesus' humor. Uh, verse 5, you hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Some great instruction there, and here we're going to look at the first one, the third behavior in Jesus' series here on these four things that are harmful for us. It's being judgmental of others. And I wonder what you're doing, what you're thinking, where's your heart right now when you hear this third behavior? Some of you are thinking, I don't think I'm that judgmental. I don't think I'm that critical. Can I tell you something? Jesus made this one of the four when there could have been a million things to talk to us about because we all have a critical spirit. All of us here have a critical spirit. It's just our nature. I hate to say it, it's our sin nature, right? It's just who we are. Uh, Jesus is reminding us. He's saying, look, you have a tendency to be critical, and I want to talk to you about it. We're prone to be critical of a lot of things. We're prone to be critical of our boss, of our neighbor. As parents, we're prone to be critical of our kids. We're prone to be critical of our friends. We're prone to be critical of our leaders, of our government governing officials. Oh, we just have, have no problem giving out a full measure of how we feel about something. We're just prone to be critical. And Jesus says, don't do it. It's a harmful behavior. Instead, be gracious. Be gracious. Why? Well, here's what Jesus says. Because when you're critical, you've got the same stuff in your eye that you're being critical about. You've got the same stuff. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you got a honking telephone pole in your eye? And in the Greek, the words speck and beam were of the same substance, right? It's like a splinter and a telephone pole. It's the same thing. And he's saying, listen, it's a problem. Let's be honest, man. You've got the same stuff in your eye, but what? Not only the same stuff, but what? A lot more of it. You've got a lot more of it. So why are you being so critical? Let's be honest. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's be honest. When we're critical, we've got a lot more of the same junk in our life. What are you being so critical about? And here's something to ponder. What does that look like from God's perspective? When we're being critical of someone else and he's like, hey, hey, wait a second. Did I just hear that? Really? You know I see you, right? You know I'm plenty aware of all that you do, right? <laughs> and it must look quite crazy from his perspective uh, it's like a guy who has a big huge gambling problem and he just lost thousands of dollars last night and he wakes up the next morning and his wife makes his breakfast and she burns the toast and he gets mad at her for being wasteful burning the toast don't you know that toast is expensive are you kidding me 
Are you kidding me right now? After what happened? And, and that's kind of what it's like. And here's a question for us. Why is it that our sin looks so much worse on somebody else? Doesn't it? I mean, we see it on someone else, and we're like, oh my gosh, putty head, what's wrong with you, right? And we do it, we see it on us, and it just looks totally different. And Jesus brings up the hypocrisy in our judgment. He says, hey, look, you judge others by one standard, and yet you hold a different standard for yourself. You see someone else mess up, and we're so critical, and that guy's a bad guy. We mess up, and we just, I just made a mistake. Well, so did the other guy. And Jesus brings us back to this point. And uh, he says, hey, think about it, man. The speck and the log. Think about his choice of words. Total hyperbole, but, but very insightful. And it brings, really reveals a lot. What he's really saying is this. Since we all have glaring faults, why are we getting offended by the faults of others? That's what he's telling us. Why are you getting so offended by the faults of others? And here's another question for you. I'd like you to actually think about it and answer out loud if you don't mind. Why do we so enjoy pointing out the faults of others? Why is it we can go to a, someone's house and on the way home we'll say something critical? Why is it we'll have a meeting and then after the meeting we'll say something critical about the person leading the meeting? Why is it that we do that? I'd like an answer. Why do we do it? Dan. Ah, wise man. Makes us feel better about ourselves. We do it to elevate ourselves. Why else do we do it? Justify ourselves. Justify ourselves. Good, good. What else? Our own insecurities. Yeah. We, we know that we're not what we should be and we need to try. Here's the issue. We do it to make ourselves feel better. We do it to feed our ego. We do it subconsciously we don't really think that we're elevating ourselves but that's why we do it we are trying to elevate ourselves above others to sound like we're got it all figured out can't believe that knucklehead would do that and we just try to sound superior we judge others to feel better about ourselves and we put them down to elevate ourselves it feels good feels like we're winning feels like wow man i mean you know, it just somehow satisfies our flesh for a moment. I found a profound quote by Rick Warren, and I put it on your screens for you. Uh, let me hear you read this out loud with me. Judging others lets us ignore the mess in our own lives. It relieves our sense of failure and frustration temporarily. Wow. Ouch. How many of you would say, ouch, right now? I would... Yeah, I don't have, I'm not cognizant of that when I do judge others, but that's exactly truth, isn't it? No wonder Jesus used a little hyperbole humor. Hey, why do you look at the speck, a little brevity to the situation? When you got a honking telephone pole in your eye, yeah, thanks for softening the blow a little bit in your illustration and making me smile. Uh, because this is hard to look at. Judging others lets us ignore the mess in our own lives and it relieves our sense of failure and frustration temporarily. You know what I've noticed? When we're critical of others, we even sometimes do it thinking that we're bonding with friends. 
or that we're bonding with others. Maybe coworkers, if we talk trash about the boss, we're bonding with coworkers. We're making relationships. It's helping. It's elevating us. But here's what I want you to know. Uh, it's, it's dysfunctional. People, dis, uh, people connecting with others over negative conversation only produces dysfunctional relationships. And Jesus says it's a harm, harmful behavior. Don't do it. People will rally to complain, but it will always produce dysfunction. And I see in politics, I think you see this as well, this has become common practice, hasn't it? This has become standard. It's just what happens. Groups rally to tear down the opponent. And demonizing the opponent, the opponent is the goal. Uh, but I want you to know this. Judgmental leadership will not prevail. Here's something to really consider as we move towards an election. Let's look for candidates who don't just go around saying, you know, tearing down what the other's doing, but actually someone who has vision and insight and direction for what they want to accomplish. Really easy to speak bad about everything and say what the problem is, but that's not going to help our country any, any at all. Uh, what we need is, is someone who has some vision. And judgmental leadership will not prevail, not for our country and not for our lives personally as well. Uh, it's, it just doesn't work. Um, Jesus says it's a harmful behavior. And I want you to consider something. A critical spirit hinders our growth and it shrinks our territory. It hinders our growth and shrinks our territory. Uh, I love that you all have pen and paper in hand, that you're all taking notes. I see you writing stuff down. Way to go. I want to have your undivided attention up here just for a second, though. Give me your undivided attention. I want you to say these words after, after me. Let me say the whole sentence, though. <laughs> Jesus has a promised land inheritance that he wants you to receive. Now, I want you to say that for me without the you. Change it into me. Jesus has a promised land inheritance that he wants me to receive. Will you say that for me? Wow. Now think on that for a second. I don't want to just start talking some more. I want you to hold on to that point for a moment. Say it one more time with me. That's amazing. That's an amazing truth. When God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had somewhere for them to go. He had a land for them. And can I tell you something? When Jesus saved you from the world and saved you from your sin, he did it for a reason. He's trying to take you somewhere. He has a promised land inheritance for you in this life that he wants you to walk in. He has a, a land that he wants you to expand your borders and to grow your territory so that you have more influence. You're touching more lives. You're helping more people. You're expanding your territory. And here's the problem that Jesus is bringing us to. A critical spirit hinders our growth and shrinks our God-given promised land inheritance. It robs it from us so that we don't enter it and we don't walk in it. 
What is the promised land inheritance that God has for you? Well, it's your sphere of influence that he's entrusted you to. He wants to expand it. It's the command that he gave you to make disciples. To bring others to Jesus. To be a light in the world. To have an amazing marriage. To have amazing friendships. To have such character that your life stands out in the workplace. And people come to you for advice and direction. And you are the one that gets promoted and moved forward because you are a godly leader. God wants to use your life and expand your territory. But you have to, we have to, I have to walk with wisdom in order for that to happen. Most Christians over-spiritualize this walk of faith. We don't really want relationship God. We want lightning bolt God. Fix my problem, rub the lamp, give me what I want, and let me move on. Doesn't work that way, Jesus said. That's not why I created the earth. I created the earth so that you could have some battles to fight and you would call upon me. I would give you wisdom to fight them. You would prevail. I would be glorified. That's a cool kingdom. You see, in this kingdom, there's an equal and opposite kingdom. There are, I said equal, that was wrong. There's an opposite kingdom, uh, not at all equal, radically inferior, but attacking God's kingdom. And, and these two kingdoms are opposed to each other. And here's the thing, we have a general, his name is Jesus, and he says, hey, look, I got the battle. You've already won, just walk in your victory. Amen. And what he's giving us here are the steps to do that. He says, Get rid of the stinking critical spirit. I can't expand your territory. I can't do what I want to do in your life. I can't give you the marriage I want to give you with that critical spirit. I can't give you the influence at work with a critical spirit. When you talk against your boss, I can't give you the promotion I want to give you. When you're talking against the neighbor, I can't give you the amazing fellowship with your neighbor so he'll actually ask you about Jesus. When you're, and on and on and on I could go. Are you with me? He wants to expand our territories. And a judgmental, critical spirit diminishes our ter territory. It shrinks our influence. Our relationships become more shallow and dysfunctional. Our influence diminishes. Our opportunities decrease. And you know what? Our world becomes small. Let me ask you, Christian, how long have you been a Christian? Answer to yourself. Give a real number in your mind right now. Give a real number. How many years has it been? How many disciples have you made? How many are following you? How much influence do you have in other people's lives? The Great Commission, it's not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. Go into all the world, teaching them to obey and to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. I'm with you in all things. I want to use your life. I want to expand your territory. Ladies, I want you discipling young girls. I wish you could see what I see. When I look out on you, I know the gifts you have. Use them for the glory of God. And a critical spirit hinders that from happening. It reduces, it diminishes, it hinders our growth, it shrinks our territory. There are three serious consequences of having a, whole, uh, a critical spirit. Three serious consequences. They're not going to be on your screens. 
You don't have to write them down. Uh, they'll resonate with you. If you want to write them down, you can. It doesn't matter. But, but here they are. Hey, in close relationships, do you know what a critical spirit will do? In close relationships, family relationships, a close, excuse me, a critical spirit will crush intimacy. It will destroy intimacy. Do you know what happens? Think about when you met your loved one, your spouse, if you're married. If you're not married, think about when you met the person you're in love with. If you're not in love, think about the last time you were. Uh, Think about what it was like. (laughs) Oh, there she is. Wow, she's gorgeous. There he is. I think he's looking at me. I think there's interest. Oh, it was amazing. Your heart fluttered. It was cool. It was like, wow. And you know what? There were love notes. Do you like me? Yes, no. Right? <laughs> now, hopefully your love notes matured with you. But, but, but there were love notes. You want to know something? Love notes end where a critical spirit begins. You getting any love notes? Love notes end where a critical spirit begins. Marriage partners quit sleeping together when a critical spirit comes into the relationship. Children lose hope when an ongoing critical spirit is upon them. It's easy for dads to have a critical spirit on their kids. They want so much for them, right? Hey, be careful because a critical spirit will crush a child's heart. In time, they will quit confiding in you. They will grow up, they'll go to high school, and now it'll just be surface conversation. And they will quit disclosing their real feelings, and the relationship with your own child will become superficial. What a tragedy. Oh, how a critical spirit hinders our growth and shrinks our territory. You know what I want with my young adult children? I want to have... A lot of input in their life. I want to have a close, intimate relationship. I don't want that intimacy being crushed. And a critical spirit will do it. Marriage has become nothing more than roommates. There's a loneliness that happens when it happens. Even at family get-togethers, there's a loneliness, a brokenness, an emptiness. It seems superficial. It seems like, hey, it's just not what it should be. Where is it? Well, a critical spirit might have hindered all the territory, the promised land inheritance that Jesus wanted you to have. And now you're wondering, where is it? Where is it? Here's another thing that a critical spirit will do, a serious consequence. A critical spirit harpoons the creativity of the soul. You were designed by God to be a creator. God is a creator. He designed you to be a creator, to have ideas and concepts. And a critical spirit will just crush that in our life. It'll just harpoon it. It'll just stop it. I've seen spouses who are so beaten down that they lack confidence in daily life. I've seen children become wallflowers, too afraid to speak and share their opinions, recoiling in life. Afraid to take risks and step out in faith because they've had a critical spirit, a critical voice in their life. I've seen husbands trembling in fear when they go to hold a screwdriver because their wife has been such a critical spirit about how incompetent they are at fixing things. 
I've had husbands tell me, I don't want to sleep with my wife because I don't want to have one more thing that I'm told I'm not any good at in life. Oh, how a critical spirit will, will just crush creativity and, and destroy the intimacy and just, you know, really hinder. May we not underestimate the severe damage of an ongoing critical spirit and what it inflicts on the human soul. It's like bleeding to death from a million paper cuts. It's damaging. And Jesus says, don't do it. In church, what does a critical spirit do in church? Let me hear you. I'm asking. What does a critical spirit do in church? Division. Legalism. Good answers. You know what the number one problem that a critical spirit will do in church? Oh, the music's too loud. Oh, they don't, they're not serving coffee. I mean, what, we're back and there's COVID and no coffee. What the heck? Where's the donuts? Where are the donuts, man? I want the donuts. I want the coffee. I'm so with you. I went down, I walked by the little aisle today. I remember the days there was donuts right there. You know what a critical spirit will do in church? This is painful. It will quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Wow. It'll quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And then there will be legalism. There will be you know, division. There will be a break of unity. There will be little factions here and there. There will be splinters. There will be... You say, well, want me to show you how it works? Do you remember when Mary anointed Jesus with a pound of spikenard? A pound of spikenard, we're talking 70 grand in modern day equivalent. 70 grand. And she takes this pound of spikenard and she just comes and worships at his feet. She was led by the Holy Spirit. She wasn't fully cognizant, even though Jesus taught it, I'm going to the cross. It was a matter of days before he went to the cross. It was spirit-led. She didn't even know how spirit-led she was. Jesus, uh, when, when they began to ridicule her, he said, let her alone. She does this for my burial. Jesus was crucified just days after that. But when she did it, 70 grand, she falls at his feet, and she's just worshiping him. And one of the disciples says, why this waste? 70 grand, are you kidding me? That could have been used to feed the poor, to buy a new speaker, to do whatever. Uh, that could have been used for a lot of things. And it was Judas who said that. And one of the gospels says, he said this, not because he really cared about the poor, but because he kept the bag. And he would often take from it. And he brings out this critical spirit. And here's my point. What happened in the room once he said, this is, why this waste? There was this fragrance that went out in the room. Everybody could smell it. What's that smell? What's that going on? It smells beautiful. Oh, they're worshiping. That smell is coming from worshiping at Jesus' feet. It's filling the whole room. And then all of a sudden, a stink bomb went off. The stink bomb, a critical spirit. Why this waste? And what happened when that stink bomb went off? What happened to everybody else? What did all the other disciples say? Yeah, that's right. 
Why this waste? I agree, Judas. What we could you done a lot of things with that. Are you kidding me? And you know what happened? It hindered the work that the Holy Spirit was doing in their lives. Without a critical spirit, they would have had a better understanding of what Jesus was doing and what was happening in their life spiritually as they moved towards the cross. But because they were as a critical spirit, what happened? It just quenched the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in a church. One of the healthiest gauges that I look at to how well and how healthy our church is doing, how effective our ministry is, are a couple of things. Number one, how you show up with your Bibles. Pen in hand, paper in hand, taking a hand, you're hungry. That's a good sign. The second thing I look at is this, how you treat each other. It's just a clear indication of the health of the church. Jesus, uh, he, you know, uh, he, he, he knows the dangers of a critical spirit. He's warning us. He's warning us. Um, <clears throat> you want to be... Uh, you want to walk in your promised land inheritance? Do you want to receive all that Jesus has for you? Do you want to grow your sphere of influence? Do you want to make more disciples? Do you want to be used by God to be a builder of man? Do you want to expand your promised land territory inheritance? Here's what you can do. Serve others instead of judging them. Serve others instead of judging them. Here's what I know. Our flesh is always going to want to be critical. I'm not immune to this. I have to walk this out. I have to live. I'm preaching to myself just like I'm preaching to you. And the moment that you feel like saying a derogatory comment about something, instead of doing that, just serve, serve instead. And here's what will happen. Your sphere of influence will grow. Your leadership will grow. Here's what Jesus taught. He taught it repeatedly. He said, whoever has, what? More will be given, and he will have an abundance. To him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. What's that? Yeah, Jesus wants to pour into us. He wants to expand our ministry, our territory, our influence. And he's looking for those who will walk faithfully in what he's given us. There's a, a man in the church, a great friend of mine. I so respect and admire this man. I come to him frequently for advice. And recently I was with him, just last week I was with him, and something came up. There was a businessman who made a serious mistake. It was quite costly. And it could have been to our advantage to capitalize on this mistake. And as we were discussing it, this man said, you know what, I've made so many mistakes in my life, let's just show some grace, let's just show some forgiveness. And you know what I thought? I thought, man, I love having this man in my life. No wonder I go to him for wisdom. Without him even knowing it, it just resonated in my heart, and it just said, this is the right guy to be hanging out with. Here's what happens. When we put away a critical spirit, we can then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and God will expand our territories, our borders. You will have more influence. Who's following you? Are you a disciple maker? Are you pouring into lives? Is your life being used? Are you telling others of the good news of Jesus? Here's how to grow. Here's how to expand your territory. Serve others instead of judging them. Look at Proverbs 17 on your screen. It says a lot about this. Look at this. Proverbs 79. Please, on the screens. 
Read this with me, if you will. He who covers a trans... <clears throat> Let's try again, because I can't read. Uh, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Wow, I saw that in my friend who, who just brought up that profound truth. Wow, There's a good way to handle this right here. Let's just... It spoke to me. And I thought of this verse. I thought of the verse in Romans where it says, Love works no, no ill to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Yeah, we could have taken advantage of something, but hey, no, let's instead, let's just cover it. You know how many times I've messed up, he said? I was like, wow, it's good, it's good. Look what Ephesians says about this. Ephesians chapter 4, this is verse 29. Read this with me, church. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but only what is good for necessary edification, that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. What's that? Yeah, instead of going around and criticizing, and let me just tell you, there's a lot to criticize. We can find fault in everything. Well, this person has fault. I don't like them anymore. This person has fault. I I can't believe they did that. He says, instead of doing that, don't let those kind of words come out and proceed out of your mouth, but instead... Speak words that are good and necessary for edification, that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear him. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, listen, expand your territory by serving others instead of judging them, and God will just continue to grow you and build you. Just amazing. You know what I've learned in life? Uh, You know what I've learned in my garden? Anyone can kill. It's pretty easy to kill your plants. You just don't water them. You just spill some Roundup in the wrong spot. You just let the dog pee on the grass, and man, you're going to have some brown spots. Anyone can kill, but only God can give life. I marvel, man. We planted these zucchinis in the backyard, and we got honking zucchinis growing in the It's like crazy. Only God can do that, man. We just put this little seed. I thought, I think can't do nothing. Plant it in there, water it, <laughs> zucchini. Amazing. Amazing. Only God can do that. But here's the thing. You know what? God is a creator. And you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to be a creator. Oh, you can't create like God. But you can speak life into things like he can. Oh, it's powerful when a godly man begins to speak life into others. That's what God wants us to to be. And look what he says. That's exactly what he says in verse 2. He says, with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. What's that mean? He's saying, hey, look, if you're critical of others, what? They'll be critical of you. If you're hard on others, they're going to be hard on you. If you're trying to elevate yourself by putting others down, they'll elevate themselves by putting you down. You like that? You want that? Here's the truth. It's going to happen. It's going to come back to us. And if we want grace, not judgment, then be gracious, not judgmental. Jesus said that's just the way it works. It's going to come back to us. The world calls it karma. Jesus doesn't. He calls it sowing and reaping. This is his way. This is his, this is his way. It's just how he works. In Luke's gospel on the Sermon on the Mount, it gives us a little bit more illustration on this. Same, same message, same, same uh, uh, teaching, but let's look what Luke's gospel says about this. Uh, read this with me. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Read with me, church. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaking together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus' words, same teaching. Hey, listen, if you're judgmental, it's going to come back to you judgmental. Pressed down, overflowing. You know, when you put the scooper in there, you can kind of scoop and have a lot of fluff, or you can scoop and really pack it down. Two ways to pack a suitcase, right? And he's talking pressed down and overflowing, just coming, just, wow, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to give us. And you know what I've noticed? Affirming words give life, and they are powerful. They are powerful. Just as we saw what the, the consequences of a critical spirit and how damaging it was in a family and a marriage and a child, etc. Well, the same is true with affirming words. Affirming words are life-giving. They're powerful. You know what I've seen? I have seen men accomplish amazing feats, be incredibly successful, Because their wives believed in them. Because their wives looked at them with eyes of respect. It does something for a man's soul. We need that. I've seen women who can virtually walk on water. I marvel at you women. I think of Amy, our children's ministry director. She's amazing. The way she loves your kids... The thought that she puts into the program to minister to your kids, it's incredible. Not only that, but she decorates the place and she's always thinking how she can make things better. We have meetings and Bible studies and I hear her pray and I just think, oh man, I love how she loves Jesus. But you know what she has behind her? She has a godly man who I admire and respect. I know him and he is a man who's a spiritual leader in his home and he is leading her well. And because of it, she virtually walks on water. Amazing. Amazing. Affirming words are so powerful. I've seen leaders who build teams who accomplish amazing things. Why? Because they're so talented? No, no, because they affirm the gifts and the talents of the people in their team. And God just takes that and he gives life to it. God wants to expand our territories. And so may we be careful. May we really understand the power of affirming and the danger of having a critical spirit. Because I think we kind of wink at it at times. At least I do. Not even aware of how significant an issue it is. Uh, As we move on to the fourth uh, and final harmful behavior, I want to take a sidebar before we do, and I want to look at this verse that we just looked at of judging uh, one more time. Here's why. Because every atheist in the world, for some reason, knows this verse. Judge not, lest you be judged. Right? And they use it out of context, inappropriately, so that they can continue in their sinful God-rebelling behaviors. And you start to talk about, hey, what's right and wrong? And they say, hey, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say don't judge? It's like, hey, I thought you were an atheist. Yeah, but I know Jesus said don't judge. (laughs) Well, that's convenient. A lot of people not walking with Jesus seem to use that verse. I want you to know something. Jesus does call us to judge between right and wrong. As a matter of fact, 
He says, you don't even have to judge between right and wrong. I've already judged what's right and wrong. You just need to stand for what's right and wrong. And you do need to stand. I want you to know this, and I encourage you to write this down, because we live in a world that is like messed up, who wants to tell you that uh, you're something wrong with you if you actually take a stand on something. Taking a stand against evil... To protect what is right is not being judgmental. It's being godly. And we are a people who need to take a stand. There are evil forces at work, and I want you to know our nation is capitulating. Socialism is not the answer. The Bible itself says, if a man will not work, let him not eat. We have a sin nature. And if we just say, hey, we'll distribute everything. You don't have to do anything. People say, okay, I won't do anything. That's because we have a sin nature. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care for the poor. Absolutely, we should care for the poor. But there's a big difference, a big difference. Getting rid of the police department is not the answer. And it is time for us as Christians to take a stand because there is a nation on the edge of capitulation, right? And, and we need to be careful. I find it astonishing that I'm not talking here in the mission church, but across the church at large, too many Christians today are milk toast. And I would say this, it is time for us to strap on a spine, Strap on a divine spine and stand for what Jesus has called us to protect. Stand for what is right and stand against what is evil. Uh, a lot of us are, are spineless today. And I want you to know it has very little to do with loving others and more to do with loving ourselves. We want to be liked by all people. We want to be people pleasers more than God pleasers. And that's a snare. And if we would just... Uh, I, I don't want to get on a rant here because I could just go in a whole other sermon... Uh, and that would be a mistake right now. But let me just say this. It is crystal clear, if God's people would stand, our nation would be healed. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and think about what's really going on and take a stand for righteousness, take a stand against evil, we don't have to, do, we don't have to be judgmental. We don't have to judge what's right and wrong. God's already told us what's right and wrong. We just need to stand in what's right and wrong and take a stand for it. God says, I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. And, uh, you know, uh, um, I need to move on. I... I do you not worry when you open the, the, the newspaper, right? Isn't it like, what the heck's going on? And Jesus said, don't worry. He said, stand. Stand instead of worry. So let's, let's move forward in that. Uh, so let's move to our fourth harmful behavior. Then we'll take communion. Number one, wrong treasures. Hey, be careful what you're treasuring. Prone to it. Every day I'm prone to treasure the wrong thing. Just realign, realign. Number two, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus takes care of things. Just keep your eyes on him. Number three, don't have a critical spirit, man. Don't be so judgmental. Just uh, speak affirming words. Be a builder of life. Inherit, inherit all that God has for you. And number four, uh, you want to know what it is? Wow, it's an interesting one. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Let's read it together. Verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet. And everybody read this together with me. 
and turn and tear you in pieces. Interesting. Interesting. Casting your pearls before swine. What does that mean? What does it mean to cast your pearls before swine? Some commentators will say that the swine are actually the Gentiles, and Jesus was, and I would say nonsense, nonsense. Jesus wanted the Gentiles saved. As a matter of fact, at Pentecost, the Gentiles got saved, so the swine can't be Gentiles. What does it mean then? What is Jesus saying? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't take what is true. Don't take what is holy. And don't do something that is true, but not wise or effective. Don't do something that is true, but not wise or effective. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Well, it would be true to stand up in the middle of an airplane and say, Jesus Christ died on a cross to save sinners, and you're all going to hell if you don't repent. That would be true, but what? Not wise. It would be foolish. And it would actually cause more damage than good. It would repel people from Jesus, not bring people to Jesus. You are casting pearls before swine. It's taking something that is true and using it in a way that is foolish and not wise. It's inapropos. And there are a million examples I could give you. Ecclesiastes says that there is a time for every purpose under heaven. There it is on your screens for you. It was a great song in the 60s, right? Uh, to, every, to every time there is a season, turn, turn, turn. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to love and a time to, to kill. A time to love, a time to hate. A time to, yeah. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Best poetry in the world, in the Bible most eloquent poetry and it's profound right they write songs over it jesus says excuse me the bible says to everything there's a season uh, we have to make sure that we do things in the right season you know what it, what, is, what does it mean to give to cast your pearls before swine it's giving counsel to someone who doesn't want it you know what you're doing you're casting pearls before swine it's trying to help someone who doesn't really want to get well do you know what you're doing you're casting pearls before swine. And if you do it, you know what will happen? Jesus says they'll trample your pearls and they'll turn and they'll attack you. I've had it happen to me more times than I can count. And Jesus says, be wise. Be wise. You'll wear yourself out. They'll turn and trample you, so back off. Trying to have a relationship with someone who continues to manipulate and attack you is casting your pearls before swine. You're enabling bad behavior. Don't enable it. We do it a lot of times with our kids. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't do it. It's dangerous. One of the hardest things for me in counseling is knowing, trying to obey this command. Knowing what I can give right now and what I can't give right now. Jesus did this amazingly well, obviously. Uh, but do you remember when he was tried and arrested, the night he was betrayed and arrested, and they brought him to trial? They first brought him to, uh, to Annas, right? The, and then to Caiaphas, the high priest. And then from Caiaphas, where did he go? He went to Pilate, spoke a few words to Pilate, and then Pilate sent him where? 
to Herod. And the Bible tells us that when Herod heard that Jesus was coming, the Greek is really emphatic, he was, he was giddy. He was overjoyed to see Jesus. Here's a king with a lot of power, a lot of influence, and he's excited to see Jesus. You would think that'd be a good thing. I can't wait to see Jesus. The Bible tells us that Herod said, I've heard all of the things that he has done, and I've been waiting a long time to meet him. Wow, that sounds really good. And so he's giddy. He's excited. He's just like amazing. He's prepared. He's waiting. He's looking out the window. Is he here yet? Is he here yet? He's searching and looking for Jesus. Jesus shows up. And what happens? He doesn't speak one word to him. Herod asks all kinds of questions, and Jesus doesn't speak one word. Why? 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 Because he won't, what? Cast pearls before swine. You see, yeah, he was all excited. It had the look of wanting help. It had the look of all the right thing. But here's the issue. He wanted to see Jesus because he wanted to see a miracle. He wanted to see Jesus do something amazing. He wanted to be entertained. He was bored with all the dancers. He wanted a new performer. And Jesus said, what? I'll have no part of it, thank you. And yet he stood before Pharaoh, uh, before Pharaoh, before Pilate, and he had quite a bit to say to Pilate. Why? Because he wouldn't cast pearls before swine. In John 13, I believe it is, might be 16, somewhere in there, uh, that whole section, Jesus is teaching about him going to the cross. And he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's teaching them all about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. Then there's this interesting phrase that Jesus says, I have many things to say to you but you are not able to bear them now. And so I'm not going to. What's he doing? Not casting pearls before swine. When God gives you an instruction, how many instructions does he give you at a time? One. Tell me why. Because he won't cast pearls before swine. You're only ready for one instruction. Let's do that first. Now I'll give you step two after you do that. Very wise, very wise. And so may we emulate him. May we learn from him. Um, uh, Jesus, uh, he's got an advantage that we don't have. He knew the heart of all men. So when he stood before Pharaoh, he knew his heart wasn't coming for the right reasons. We don't. We don't. And so sometimes it takes longer for us as we're trying to help, we're trying to counsel, we're trying to guide, we're trying to bring pearls to someone. But uh, know this, when it does become apparent that they're not receiving the counsel, that they don't want your counsel, that they don't want to get well, don't keep doing it. You'll only harm yourself. You'll only enable their bad behavior. Great teaching. Jesus told the disciples, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to go in all the, all the towns and I want you to preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he said this, when you go into a house, greet them, bless them. If they receive you, Great. If they don't, what? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Quit spending all that energy to disciple that one person who you've been discipling for five years and just is not moving at all in their relationship with Jesus Christ because there's a million people around you who are starving for what you have to offer and you're not using it wisely. Don't cast your pearls before swine. 
You say, well, how is it a harmful behavior? And I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come, out now, come up now and uh, the men to get ready to prepare the elements. We'll take communion right after we talk about this. How is it a harmful behavior to cast your pearls before swine? Here's how it's a harmful behavior. Because they will turn and trample on you and then you will be gun shy to do what? To do what? To help other people again. Do you know, I know pastors who have last, lost all their heart and compassion for the homeless. Because they put pearls before swine and they got trampled and they don't want to do it again. I know pastors who won't do counseling anymore because they got trampled, they got hurt. And that's a tragic place to be. That's a mistake. And don't let your heart get hardened by getting trampled. So be wise. May we be wise. And may we hold on to these amazing words that Jesus has given. Not having wrong treasures. Not worrying about tomorrow. Not having a judging critical spirit. And not casting our pearls before swine. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.